Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got one in the pew rack in front of you, and the page number for this passage is listed in the order of service in the worship folder with an outline you can follow on the back. 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 1 through 5 is our passage today. There was a British evangelist in the 20th century named Leonard Ravenhill. I'm not really all that familiar with him, haven't read a lot of that he wrote or said, but I came across a quotation from him a while back that I'd I'd saved actually 10 years ago, and as soon as I kind of rediscovered it, I I knew exactly why I had saved it. Here's, Here's what he said. I believe the place of prayer is not only a place where I lose my burdens, but also a place where I get a burden. He shares my burden, and I share his burden. That gets you thinking, doesn't it? See, we we naturally think of prayer as relieving our burdens. We, we, We bring our problems, our needs, our guilt, our anxieties to God, and he he forgives our sin, he calms our fears, he we he relieves our burdens, right? I mean, Ravenhill says, says yes to all that. That's true. But he believes we also get a burden in prayer. What, what could he be talking about? And, and who would sign up for that? I, I want to I come, come and feel better when I leave uh, prayer. Why would I want God to give me a burden? Well, our passage this week is just a short one, and it is about prayer, but even more It is about a concern for the work of the gospel, spreading the gospel through evangelism, through the work of missions around the world, and deepening our grasp of the gospel through discipleship. And in some sense, this is God's burden, His burning passion, His desire, His concern that that more and more people would come to know him to be in relationship with him that's his burden and it's the one it's the burden that we are to receive it's one that we are meant to share so here's second Thessalonians 3 1 through 5 Paul writes finally brothers pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is God's word for us today. Now, uh, here's the, the sermon in a sentence this morning. Gospel work depends on a faithful God. So pray and be confident in him. We can see that right as in these verses, a small passage this week, so it's easy for it to be clear. Gospel work depends on a faithful God. So pray and be confident in him. We'll take these five verses in four parts. Part one. The word proclaimed. Ask God to further the gospel and make it fruitful like he did among us. So, verse one. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among 
you. So brothers, who are the brothers? Finally, brothers, the, those are the believers in Thessalonica, both men and women. Now, finally, brothers, pray for us, who are, who's the us, Paul, of course, and his missionary team. Um, the, you see the beginning of the letter, maybe it's just across the page, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, right at the beginning of the letter. And, and uh, naturally, we should kind of see this as like, well, of course, right? Naturally, the, the first request that Paul, that's on the top of Paul's prayer list is about the mission of the missionaries to spread the word of the Lord, more specifically, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And because the, the Greek word here translated in the ESV is uh, as speed ahead, it could also be translated, other translations have this as to run, that the word of the Lord would run, and then the fact that he couples that with this uh, word be, to be honored, or you have a footnote there, to be glorified, he seems to be using in a very, just a, a short couple of phrases, a metaphor of a race. Now, this should be really easy for us, right? We just, we're wrapping up the Olympics. Many of us have been, been watching a lot of the, the games. We've, we've seen the athletes in the starting blocks waiting for the pow, and they're off. Every muscle straining, and yet at the same time, just so graceful in movement. And, and, and to the speedy goes the glory. That's just, we just know how that's how the race works. Now, of course, in Paul's picture here, he's not, he's not saying, well, if the gospel goes really fast, it gets a medal at the end or something like that. That's not uh, that so much that it wins a prize for being fast. Um, Paul wants, what Paul wants is the gospel to speed ahead quickly to more and more places, to more and more people. And, and it is honored, the gospel, the word of the Lord is honored when people receive it and believe it with joy. That's when the word of God is really honored. I've, when people hear the good news of Jesus and say, this is it, yes, I've, I've finally found what I, my heart needs, I've finally found what my, I've been looking for all my life, and then that's when the gospel is, is honored, is glorified. But that's Paul's desire. That's what he wants them to pray for. But far too often then, and, and for us today, we see the work of missionaries and it feels like this is not a race. It's like we're stuck in a traffic jam. It's like we're, we're not going anywhere fast. The, the, it seems like the gospel is hardly moving at all. We're just inching along. People, we, we take the gospel to people and people just don't get it or they just don't want it. Have you... I assume that's what you've seen. You, you've experienced that if you've tried to share your faith, if you've brought it up about uh, what you believe and, and how that might be something uh, that would be really good for, for them to know and believe. And sometimes it's just like, I'm not getting anywhere. Wouldn't we love to see the gospel sprint through our families and communities and neighborhoods? So, yeah, we're, we're praying. Now, the Thessalonians have seen both extremes of this uh, go- examples of gospel ministry. They have seen people completely opposed to the message of Jesus Christ that turned against uh, not only the gospel, but against the missionaries, persecuting the missionaries and persecuting even the believers. At, at the same time as it's being strongly opposed, the, the Thessalonian believers themselves had completely embraced the good news of Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. Uh, see back, just maybe it's just a little bit further up on the page, what we looked at last week, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. 
Paul said, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we, like what we said earlier, you know, when not only is the gospel going to run this race and be honored, when, when we join in, when, when we are swept up into the great movement of the gospel, the, the, the prospect is we're going to share his glory in the end. That's, that's what it's, we're all looking forward to. And Paul says, since you know what it's like for the gospel to, to run, just to, just to speed ahead among you, to be glorified among you believers, would you pray for us? Would you pray for us as missionaries that the gospel would go forward and be glorified in others, that God would further the gospel and make it fruitful? This ought to be prayer number one for our missionaries and for us in our own efforts at seeing the gospel extend further and further, even in our own uh, region and own community and outreach and evangelism. Maybe, maybe it would help us to pray if we remembered how the gospel came to us. Have you have you taken some time lately to think about when you first came to faith? Maybe that was not that long ago for you. Maybe, it was, maybe it's been decades. And sometimes in the passage of time, it just becomes, we start to take things for granted. Start to, to think, well, of course I believed. You know, I was, I was always open and receptive to the word of God, and it was always made sense to me. And I always, you know, like, really? Is that how it was? I mean, I understand if you, if you believed as a child and you don't remember quite ever being some, you know, uh, terribly rebellious sinner, you, you just, I feel like I've always believed. But, but think back for a moment to whenever that was for you when, and maybe, again, maybe it was in a, a sudden moment that God just impressed upon you the, the guilt of your sin and the, the grace of God in Christ and the, all the forgiveness that he extends to you. Maybe it just hit you and boom, your life turned in a moment. Or maybe it was a long process over years of, of working that into your, to your mind and into your heart and to where you changed. But, but here's the thing. At some point, there was a moment when things changed for you. When you went from being not a Christian to a Christian, not a believer to a believer, from, from death to life. And if that moment came to you, if that moment happened for you, don't we want that moment to happen for again and again for more and more people? Don't we want that moment for others? If you're a believer, we want that belief. We want that. So we pray for our missionaries. And you think, well, okay, but how do I do that? You could, you could start by signing up for our, we, we send out a, a prayer sheet, a sheet of prayer requests, including some of our missionary needs uh, every week. You can uh, talk, talk to our church office and get on the email list for that. Or you could subscribe yourself to some of our missionaries' newsletters and you could stay up to date on what's going on, the challenges they face. We can help you uh, make those connections too. The work of the gospel is not easy work. It's often slow work. Let's, let's pray then to see that the gospel would run, just run around the world, whether it's our missionaries in Hungary or Peru or Zambia. Let's, let's pray that God would move, that the gospel would move. If, we can't, if we're glad that it came here, don't we want it to go everywhere? And let's pray that the gospel would speed ahead in Mount Morris, up and down Hitt Street and Wesley Avenue. We could, we could pray that, 
that the gospel would run, just run through the older folks at Pinecrest and run through the younger folks at, at, at Ron Junior High. Let's pray that it runs through the, out by the old printing plant and the golf course that would run through Han Apartments and the trailer park. That, can, we, can we even imagine that? Can we fathom that? Well, they're like, oh, I don't know if that would really happen. Maybe it doesn't happen because we're not praying. We're not asking. That's what James tells us. You, sometimes you do not have because you do not ask. And if we've stopped believing that, that, that God could just, uh, all it, would, it wouldn't take hardly, it wouldn't take anything. It's not beyond him to spark a new fire of revival that could sweep in a, in a powerful way through our community, not just in Mount Morris, but wherever you live, the neighborhood that you live, the community where you live in this, in this region. If, if the gospel came to us, it can go to anyone, right? It can, but why, do, why not? Maybe, it, maybe it's because we need to pray. And maybe we'd, we'd get the burden for praying if we started praying. Maybe we'd start getting the burden for the work of the gospel. Uh, people need to know the Lord, people need to be saved if we just did what this verse told us to do. Pray for the movement of the gospel. And maybe in praying, we would start to get more of that burden in the good way that we are meant to have. Just following this verse, pray for us that the gospel would speed ahead and be honored as it did among you. So first prayer request from a missionary is, well, for the success of the mission. But there's another that Paul mentions in verses 2 and then kind of turns a corner into verse 3. Um, so second prayer request, pray for us, verse 2, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So this is part two. Believers protected. Ask God to guard us against those who oppose Christ. Some of you, I know, work in factories or in, in various kinds of shops, working with power tools or heavy machinery, and you might, very likely, you've got a sign somewhere in the break room, wherever you're at, that says something like, safety is job one, or safety is our first priority. That was not Paul's work environment. He, didn't, he did not have the luxury of, of having a place where safety was the first priority. He was no stranger to suffering for the work of the gospel. In another letter, he gives a whole inventory of his hardships that he encountered as a missionary. I'll just read it to you real quick. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. He said, I've had far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." Whew, being a missionary back then was, was neither, it was not glamorous and it was not safe. Paul was willing to face persecution and notice, not just persecution, the, the risks and rigors of, uh, of travel, international travel in the ancient world. Uh, so, so don't get the idea that this second prayer request, this is all built into this, <laughs> don't get the idea that this second prayer request is, you know, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, that it was just about being safe and comfortable, about 
being at ease. I mean, it's very clear. He was willing to face danger for the sake of the gospel. That's why he's encountering wicked and evil men. He, he could just as easily have stayed home and been safe. But he, pray, but he did pray for safety for the sake of the gospel. You understand that? He, he went out, he risked his life for the sake of the gospel, and he prayed for safety for the sake of the gospel. Why do I say that? Well, if Paul, like I said, if he wanted to avoid trouble, he could have stayed at home. But for him, that was not an option. The gospel had to move forward. It was going to be taken to the world through the work of, of God's people, through missionaries. And so he's always in danger of persecutions, of phony believers, and even just plain old criminals. But here's how he explains the, the presence of these bad guys in particular that he's worried about right now. He says, for not all have faith. So, yeah, in, in uh, that other passage I read, just robbers, you know, wilderness, sea travel, uh, pe- government persecution, whatever. But here, when he says, for not all have faith, he's, he's narrowing this, his concern right here to those that seem to be believers, but they're not real. They're not genuine. Remember what we saw um, back in the beginning of chapter 2? This is chapter 2, verse 2, that we looked at last week that the Thessalonians had been receiving, had been confused because they were getting some letters that seemed to be from Paul, that apparently were some kind of counterfeit, um, that were claiming to be from Paul, but were actually uh, false teachers. We don't know who these phonies were, but they posed a real threat to Paul and the work of the gospel, a real threat to the church, even though they were fake believers. Now, on one hand, uh, we could look around in our situation and think, well, not Morris, I mean, we we don't have anything like the opposition that, that Paul faced back then, um, or even what some of the missionaries around the world face right now. But maybe the evil that we face, the, the, the sabotage that is going on, the, the, the counterfeits that are trying to work their way in, maybe the evil that we face is more subtle than that. Maybe, what if the deception, the counterfeits are harder to spot? What if our enemies are, are, are not only in the physical realm around us, but in the spiritual? Should that, should that make us even more anxious and more afraid? They're, they're all coming at us. How are we going to uh, stay true? What, what are we, how do we understand what the, what the truth is? But we don't have to be more anxious or afraid if the, if the challenges seem to be increasing and the, the deception seems to be more deceptive. It's as soon as we say, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Don't focus on your enemies. I mean, you have to, you have to be aware. You have to be discerning. You have to understand what the truth is and, and who, but, but, but don't focus, when, when you focus in the wrong way on your enemies, they, they just make you afraid. If you focus, don't focus on the, those who will betray you, will undermine you. Focus on the Lord who will never forsake you. Not all have faith. It's not paranoia if they really are out to get you. But the Lord is faithful. But the Lord is faithful. That's the, that is the key phrase in this, this short section. The Lord is faithful. Aren't, aren't those powerful reasons to pray? Not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. The world is full of people who would love to sabotage the work of the gospel. There, there are even spiritual forces, spiritual powers, who would love to undermine and undo the work of the gospel. So pray to the Lord for their deliverance and our deliverance. And 
because we know that the Lord is faithful, because we know the Lord is someone who we can count on again and again, that we can count on forever. So pray to the Lord and be delivered. This is exactly what Jesus did uh, and, and exactly how Jesus prayed when he prayed in, uh, just before his crucifixion. This is from John 17. He's praying it for his disciples then, but just as surely he's praying it for disciples now like us. This is John 17, 14, and 15. Jesus says to the Father, he's praying, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. This is where, part of where we get the kind of the phrase, it's not exactly a Bible quote, but it's a very biblical idea from this passage, that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. He didn't, he said, we're not of the world. That's why they hate you. But that but doesn't mean like, oh God, just get us out of here. Just, you know, just how about an airlift? You know, come in, come in with the choppers and get us out. No, you're going to be, you're going to be in the world. I'm not going to, Jesus, Jesus himself said, I'm not asking you, God, Father, to take them out of the world. I'm asking that you, that you be with them, that you would deliver them from the evil one. And it's not, again, it's not an airlift. It's a protection within the battle to be in and yet not of the world. This is how Jesus prayed. Do you think Jesus' prayer will be answered? Do you think that his prayer, yeah, I think I heard an of course over here. That's, that's exactly. Of course Jesus' prayer is going to be answered. That, that even though he will not just swoop in and scoop us out of this world of trials and, and persecution and hardship, and, but that in the world, that in, in the world where we may be hated because of our identification with him, that he will deliver us from the evil one. And that's exactly the expectation that Paul had here, that, you, the, that the Lord is faithful, he will deliver you. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Shouldn't we pray and expect God to deliver our missionaries, to deliver us? Yeah, that's exactly why Paul can turn the corner. He had just, in the first uh, couple of verses, he'd been saying, hey, pray for us. Would you pray that God would, would do this? It's, it's not, and it, and it was never a sense of, well, you know, cross your fingers, knock on wood, and, you know, shoot up a prayer. Maybe, maybe the gospel will go forward, and maybe, you know, he'll, he'll uh, help us out against the, the evil that we face. When he, when he hits that, but the Lord is faithful, not only does he turn around and stop asking for prayer requests for himself, he turns around and, and expects the same things that he's been asking for them to pray for, for himself. He expects that that will be a reality for these people because he's praying for them, because, because Jesus has prayed for them like that, because he's praying for them like that. So he can say with confidence, he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And the next verse carries on that same confidence, verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. This is part three in our sermon, Word Obeyed. Ask God to keep us faithful to his calling in all that we say and do. So I'm, I'm still, Paul's kind of phrasing this in terms of his confident expectation. I'm also phrasing it in this sermon outline as, as another prayer for us to pray. 
And if you're paying close attention, you might be thinking something like, okay, wait a minute, Bruce, but you know, you're, I know you, you want to put it in the outline that, that we have, need to obey uh, God's calling, that we need to obey God's word. But Paul, I'm reading this verse, and Paul is telling the Thessalonians to obey his command. That is, what we command, meaning what the missionaries, Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, commanded. Well, I'm glad you're paying close attention here. I don't want to get anything by you here. But remember, this is what he said also in, uh, again, look up to chapter 2, verse 15. He said something similar. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Okay. He's, he's emphasizing the things that he's been saying. But don't forget what we've already said, that at the beginning of chapter 2, the issue, the problem for these believers is that they had had a counterfeit letter come to them, uh, a letter that was not from Paul. It was uh, supposedly from him, but it was really uh, a false teaching. And so they, when they got that forgery, Paul is now emphasizing, no, you need to understand our, you need to read our letter. You need to follow what we command. That's in contrast to the false teaching from the phony believers. Paul's not elevating his own word above God's word. He's saying that, in fact, you read, you read around this, and he's saying, no, what we taught you, Paul, Paul, Sylvanus, Timothy, what we taught you was God's word. Do you remember this from, from the previous letter? We, it's been several weeks ago now. This is First, first Thessalonians. 2 verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So this, these letters, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, are not man's word, but are God's word. And if God's word is at work in believers... And if the Lord is faithful, what should we expect in the live, lives of Christians? We should be confident in the Lord, Paul says, about you. Confident in the Lord. Not, uh, you know, if, if I was just looking at, if I was just looking at you, if we were just looking at each other, we might be a little less confident, right? If we're just looking at ourselves, look, think it. If you're just looking in the mirror, you've got a lot less room for confidence. But in the Lord, we can be confident in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do. You're going to keep on going. You will, I, I'm counting on the fact that you will keep on going because my confidence is not in you. It's in the Lord. The Lord is faithful. I, should that, does that not give us hope? It should. I mean, it's, it's sad, I think, when flip that around. It's sad when I think we have more faith we have more confidence in, in one sense, in the power of sin and, the, uh, and, and more fear from the erosion of our culture. In other words, what we're saying is we have more faith that that's going to determine the future of my life and the people around me. I, I, I see the, what's going on in the culture. I see what's going on in government. I see what's going on in the, in the media and whatever. And I, and I have, in some sense, more faith that they're going to prevail. The Lord is faithful. And we are confident in the Lord that you are and will do what we command, ultimately what God commands. I know the threats are great. We know that. We know the temptations are strong. I know that our Christians, or excuse me, our children may be in some sense more vulnerable than ever. And the church in our country seems to face more challenges than ever. But are we praying 
and believing in the way that Paul asks us to? Do we believe that the Lord is faithful? Do we believe that what we have before us is more than man's word, but God's word? And do we believe that God's word is what is at work in us? Not just the Bible, but specifically even the gospel to make us and to transform us. And because he is faithful, we can be confident in the faithfulness of his people. Now, I'm sure some of you have been trained to read the Bible very carefully. You've been paying attention in various classes that we've had. You've, you've already noticed something else going on in these previous verses, verses 1 through 4. Two, 2 and 3 are something of a mirror image. So he says, pray that we may be delivered from evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will deliver you from the evil one. Okay, so you see how that, you've got Lord is faithful, not all have faith, Lord is faithful. Expand out from that. One ring, uh, deliver us, he will deliver you. And that makes you think, well, hmm, does that work? Could we go out this another step further? Would verse 1 kind of go along with verse 4? Well, I think it does. So verse, uh, when, when the prayer request for the, for the missionaries in verse 1, he says that the word of the Lord may be honored as new people come to faith. They're here in verse 4. The confident expectation for the Thessalonians in 4 says, in effect, that the word of the Lord would be honored as believers continue to obey. You see the parallel? Both of them have to do with honoring the word of the Lord. Honoring the gospel, receiving it through faith, becoming a believer. Honoring the word of the Lord as we continue to obey, day in, day out, over a lifetime as a Christian. This is the whole picture of, of gospel work, the, the Christian life and ministry, the complete work of the gospel. We sometimes distinguish between evangelism and missions and discipleship. It's just two stages in the same growth process. It's all the work of the gospel at work in people's lives. It's just one continuum, the gospel moving further out, reaching new people, and gospel going deeper in, deeper, deeper into individual lives. How might it transform our lives as believers if we thought of ourselves as not simply obeying God's commands, which I'm not, not backing away from that at all, not apologizing for that. That's how it talks about it. We should be obeying God's commands. But, but also add to that, add to, fill out the picture of think, of, think of yourself as honoring the word, glorifying the word of the Lord, making the gospel, as Paul will say to Titus, to adorn the gospel, make the gospel look good as you glorify the gospel by living out a gospel-transformed life. That's what Paul wants them to do. That's what he's confident will happen, not because he's confident in them, but because he's confident in the Lord. In these four verses, Paul has come full, full circle. Ministry of the word, protection from evil, all hinging on the faithfulness of God within an unbelieving wor world. But there's then one more piece, one more prayer in verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is part four. Believers transformed. Ask God to draw us to him so that we might be more like him. Paul started this short section asking them to pray for him and his team, but he just can't seem to let go of, he just wants to tell them like how I'm praying for you, what I want for you. This is what, what a heart of a missionary, of a pastor. Yes, I have needs. Would you pray for me? But oh, but I, this is what I pray for you. I, I, you are on my heart. This is what I, I want 
for his spiritual children. This is what he want God, wants God to do in their lives. And remember, the work of the gospel depends on our faithful God. Paul is depending on him. That's why he prays. That's why he's confident. And we can pray that way. We can be confident that way too. So in the same way that uh, we look to the Lord for the confidence about our obedience to the word and perseverance in him, we look to the Lord for our, even just the very direction of our hearts. So think of it. Not just, we're not just asking God to help change our behavior, make us, make us more obedient, but to change the very direction, the inclination of our hearts. In fact, when that happens, when you change the direction, is when you know you're going to change, see more of the behavioral change as well. I was uh, listening to someone describe how, you know, if you just change the direction of a, uh, an airliner, you know, 747 or whatever, taken off from say, Los Angeles. I mean, just, it's a matter of inches, and you can go, you, you can miss your target if you're trying to go from Los Angeles to Boston, and just a few inches, and you can end up in Washington, D.C. instead. Now, I know they're steering the whole time. I get that, but you, 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 get, you understand the, the principle. If, we're, if our, the direction of our hearts is not going in the right way, we're going to end up being way off sooner or later. The direction of our hearts is so important, and in one sense, the, the prayer here is that Paul is not, I'm, he's not trusting in the fact that they can change the direction of their hearts, or even that he can if he just persuades them, if he would just write a longer letter, maybe he could change the direction of their hearts. He, he believes that the word of God is going to be instrumental, but ultimately, at the end of the day, he has to pray and trust that God has the power and the ability and the, and the very goodness to, to take us where we ought to go. The, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will, says Proverbs. What about your heart? If he can turn the heart of the king, he can, surely he can, he can guide your heart and mine. Listen to what David said as he made preparations for building the temple. This is from 1 Chronicles 29, 17 and 18. And think about this in the context of, this is in the context of worship. Okay, so he's making preparations for building the temple. He's thinking about all the ways that people have given offerings, all to, all to the glory of the Lord. He says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Man, that's an, such an important prayer. Especially when, in, think of it, in this moment of, of great triumph, of, of beautiful, powerful worship. And, and, and to some degree, we get to experience those moments at different times in the life of our church. Moments where we feel like, oh, people are feels like people are really engaged and, and we've seen great uh, movements and, and, and coordinated efforts at doing ministry or, or great generosity and gifts toward a particular cause financially. And like, oh, this is wonderful. God, you're at work in people's hearts. And right on the heels of that to say, oh God, may this always be our heart's desire. Would you, would you always keep these, these desires, these movements, these passions stoke that fire in us, God. Put, point us in that direction always, and not just in a direction, not that he's just going to 
He's like, I'm going to direct our, your hearts towards this. Of course, he's, he's directing them, as Paul says, to himself. May, may the Lord direct you, your hearts to the love of God. He's, he's drawing us to himself as he directs our hearts to these things. To the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Like sunflowers that turn to face the sun, we know where the life comes from, the energy, the power. We need to be turned toward the love that God has shown us, soaking in the love that that comes expressed to us in so many daily provisions, countless daily blessings, savoring each one of those ways that he's, yes, this is the love of God, but then most of all, of course, most of all, the love of God that we have for us, given to us in Christ, who who has taken every one of our sins, every one of the things that, that God could have taken and said, yes, that, that's, that's, that's enough reason to send you to hell. That's, an, that's enough reason to reject you. That's enough reason to damn you. But he says, no, I'm going to take all of those things, every one of them, and in Christ, we're, just, we're, just, we're going to take those away. They're going to be a, that's going to be a non-issue between you and me. You're going to be forgiven. You're going to be mine. Do, do, we, do we appreciate, do, are our hearts directed toward the love that God has for us and has shown us in Christ? And, and, and yet how sad it is for us to be so easily turned away to other things. We know the love of God. We know the steadfastness of Christ. Think of his perseverance for our sake. We talked about the perseverance of Paul going through all kinds of hardships for the sake of the gospel? Do, do we need to review what Jesus did, the perseverance, the, the going through hardship for the sake of the gospel? Not to proclaim the gospel, to be the gospel, to be the good news, to be, this, to be our salvation. With all kinds of ways that, where he could have just, th- th- you know, read the gospels, all the stories of people uh, mocking him, resisting him, uh, dismissing him, uh, calling him, saying that his power is attributed to Satan. And then, and then, I mean, that's before all the physical beatings and sufferings of the cross. Anywhere along the way, you think Jesus could have said, I, this, I don't have to deal with this. This is garbage. I don't, I don't have to be, you know who I am? I don't deserve to be treated like this. Could have chucked it. Could have walked away. Said, I'm out of here. The steadfastness of Christ is the persevering love of the Father that shone through the steadfastness of Christ for us. His steadfast love endures forever. And it comes to us in a particular way through the gospel. If we are a gospel people, if we want the gospel to do its work in us then and then do its work from us as it goes out to other people, let's, let's start here. Let's pray. Let's ask, may May the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And, and then, you, you know, it's, it's not just that, that he's, when you just really start to meditate on the verse, you, you may begin to wonder, well, is it, I'm just supposed to think about the love that God has for me? I'm just supposed to think about the steadfastness of Christ that he did for me? Or am I dr- so drawn to him? Because the, the verse works either way. May the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God so that I, that, that I am now moving in that same direction. That I'm moving with the love of God flowing through my life. That I live with the same kind of steadfastness that Christ did. That's, that's how Paul took it. He operated not just, it, he wasn't just contemplating the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. His, his heart was so moved 
by and toward and with the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ that he began to move with the same kind of love and perseverance for the sake of the gospel in the lives of other people. How does that happen? It's going to have to be God's work in us, folks. The Lord's going to have to direct our hearts in that way toward these things. But it's possible. The Lord is faithful. Think about how um, Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's going to have to come from God, this, this work of transformation that draws us not only closer to Him, but then to become like Him for the world, for His glory. What would, what would change in your life today, this week, if, if you began to reflect more of the glory of God? More of His goodness, more of His mercy, more of His grace, more of His truth, more of His life, more of the gospel reflected through your life? What would happen in the life of our church if we reflected more of that glory? You might say, yeah, yeah, oh, let, let's do it. Yeah, I, I like that attitude. But start here. God, you're going to have to do this. We don't have it in us. If we were, looking, if we were just looking at, at one another, we'd be like, I don't have it. I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm very confident in this group. But if we have confidence in the Lord, yes, then, then, we, then I'm confident in the Lord that you are and you will do all that we command, all that he commands, and the gospel will do its work. The gospel work depends on a faithful God, so pray and be confident in him. That's what we need. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to begin right now in this moment. This is, this is our prayer. We're praying together that you would direct our hearts to your love, to your steadfast love shown to us in Christ. And, and so, so make us, remake us, change us. Don't just save us out of hell into heaven, into the new heavens and new earth. Just uh, we, make us completely yours. Transform us. Make us yours so that we are like you, that we become your ambassadors, that we become representatives, not just of a religion or a uh, institution, a particular church. We want to be representative. We want to be exhibit A of your saving grace. And then would you take that gospel embodied in the lives of transformed believers, and would you just make that gospel run? Run. Run through this church, run through this town, this county, this country, this world. Run. May, you be, may your word be honored, being believed and obeyed. May you be honored as we say, we want, we want to do what you want, God. We want to live in relationship with you. We want, we want to please you. That's where you rejoice and we rejoice. Begin here. Begin with us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.